Peripheral artery disease, or PAD, is progressive and can cause gangrene or tissue death if not properly treated. Critical limb ischemia is the most severe form of PAD, and this is particularly prevalent in diabetic patients. Can it be prevented, and is there a cure? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special series on diabetes. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Robert Beasley, Director of Vascular and Interventional Radiology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami Beach, Florida. Welcome, Dr. Beasley. Thanks for having me, Mark. Today we are discussing laser treatment for critical limb ischemia below the knee, and particularly in diabetic patients. Dr. Beasley, does the diabetic have more significant disease? Absolutely. The diabetic patient has small vessel disease by definition in the tibial vessels uh, and even smaller vessels into the feet. Characteristically, these vessels are usually small. Quite often, these vessels are uh, not only plugged up with uh, atherosclerotic plaque, but also contain large amounts of calcification. And what about the larger vessels in diabetics? Are these also affected? Usually not as badly as the smaller vessels. The superficial femoral and popliteal arteries sometimes are more heavily calcified into the diabetic patient, but often you don't see the significant blockages as you do in the vessels below the knee, and typically the iliac arteries are normal. Well, let's say that I threw two angiograms in front of you. Do you think that you could become pretty close in determining which patient is a diabetic and which one isn't by looking at the angiogram? You certainly have a good chance of doing that. The diabetic patient's angiogram usually, uh, again, is more heavily calcified. The vessels are usually smaller, and typically uh, the tibial disease is greater uh, out of proportion to uh, the, the disease above the knee. Now, we spoke before about the ankle brachial index. Could you just redefine that for us? The ankle brachial index is a measurement of the blood pressure in the ankle compared to the blood pressure in the arm. It's a ratio. So if there is significant plaque or blockage to the femoral arteries, the popliteal arteries, and even the tibials, you'll see the differences in the pressure, and then that is manifested by the ankle brachial index. Now, does this have any particular considerations in the diabetic? Yes, it does. The considerations are such that if you have a significantly decreased ankle brachial uh, index uh, in a diabetic patient, this patient is more apt to develop inflammation from uh, cellulitis, more apt to develop wounds that don't heal or heal slowly, and more apt to develop ultimately gangrene. Again, that would be more uh, related not only to the fact that you have the decreased flow of blood, but these patients typically also have uh, a significant degree of neuropathy. As a patient bangs his foot, may not even feel it, and then may not even notice that there's anything going on until a day or two later when there's a significant cellulitis or wound that occurs. Now, when we talk about critical limb ischemia, how do you define that? Critical limb ischemia is defined as a significant decrease in circulation to the lower extremity, almost to the point to where the patient has either rest pain or has developed uh, an ulceration or uh, has progressed onto gangrene. Again, sometimes these patients will have severe pain 
especially if they don't have significant neuropathy, or if they do have significant neuropathy, the rest pain may not be that bad, and they may only notice that this occurs when they've developed an ulceration. Does the ankle brachial index enter in on this determination? It usually does, yes. If you have an ankle brachial index that is less than 0.5, maybe 0.4, then you've got a significant risk of developing a critical limb ischemia. And in the diabetic, is that different? The diabetic probably is about the same. You might want to be a little more suspicious if you have a 0.5 or a 0.6 ABI but you should definitely be attuned to the fact if your patient is diabetic and that there is an ankle brachial index of 0.5, 0.6, you should definitely be uh, attuned to the lower extremities and looking for uh, signs of cellulitis or ulceration or early gangrene. You spoke about small vessel disease in the diabetics. In these diabetics, do they develop arteriosclerosis earlier than non-diabetic patients? They certainly do develop it earlier, and uh, that's just a sequelae of the disease. Uh, the vessels become harder uh, early on, and they develop plaques uh, early on. So consequently, uh, you may have a 50- or 60-year-old patient who has significant ulceration uh, or wound that doesn't heal, as opposed to a patient that did not have diabetes that would maybe just have, with that degree of blockage, may just have some severe claudication or moderate claudication. If you have just joined us, you are listening to Diabetes Month on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Robert Beasley, director of vascular and interventional radiology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami Beach, Florida. Today we are discussing laser treatment for critical limb ischemia below the knee, and particularly the diabetic patient. Dr. Beasley, how do we use the laser in critical limb ischemia in patients, and particularly diabetics? I think the laser is a very effective tool in, in treating patients that have critical limb ischemia. Uh, in fact, the laser may be the first choice of treatment today in these patients. The laser will vaporize a channel in order to then get a nice size balloon in there to balloon open a channel, which can then carry the much-needed oxygenated blood down to the cells for healing of ulcerations and gangrene. Is it more difficult because of the small vessel disease? It's more difficult for treatment, but the laser, again, is able to open up a very nice channel to then accept a balloon, which would then uh, you know, improve the inflow into the patient's leg. Do you always have to balloon after the laser? Not always. If, for example, the laser sizes increase up to about 2 to 2.3 millimeters, and most tibial arteries are in the range of 2 to 3 millimeters in diameter, similar to coronary arteries. In certain instances, if you're able to size your laser properly, then you can basically do a standalone technique with the laser, open up a, a nice a large channel, and not have to then go in and do a balloon. I usually slightly undersize the laser and then come in with a balloon and do long, low atmospheric inflations in order to get the most optimum result of increasing the diameter of the vessel. Well, how technically difficult is this below the knee? I've been involved with doing these procedures for many, many years, and the technique for below-the-knee revascularization is a difficult technique because you have to employ 
cardiac balloons and cardiac wires in order to revascularize these very small vessels. It's, it's almost like you're working on the heart uh, below the knee, uh, and it's long uh, areas to get to. You're going up and over contralateral approach a lot of the times uh, because you don't want to uh, put pressure or hemostasis on the side that you're working on. Therefore, lots of times you don't do an antegrade stick, but you do the retrograde up and over contralateral approach. To be working that far away with long sheaths and long catheters and guide wires in order to be able to then negotiate yourself into this uh, tortuous vessel is sometimes a little difficult. So you're actually able to approach areas that we cannot approach surgically? Yes, I think we are. I typically will laser all the way down into the dorsalis pedis and the posterior tibial. I did one today where we went down into the dorsalis pedis, uh, lasered, uh, and then ballooned uh, a complete occlusion of the distal one-half of an anterior tibialis that had a target vessel of a dorsalis pedis, which came back right at the metatarsal level, got an excellent result in this patient whose first toe ulceration is primarily, I think, fed by that uh, distribution of blood is going to go ahead and, and, and heal very nicely. And long-term results from this? Long-term results for patency is probably not really good, but we're just looking for ulcer healing and wound healing, and that typically can occur within a month or two. Now, you have patients clearly that have infected ulcers. Do you ever worry about getting your operative site infected because they are infected? No, I usually, again, the operative site is in the groin, either on the same side or on the contralateral side. So we're pretty far away from where we're doing any type of uh, work. And as far as opening up the blood supply, you know, if you can open up the arteries supplying directly that area or distribution of the wound, then that's what the patient needs is more blood. And typically when my referring podiatrists or referring surgeons take the patient back to either debride the wound or perform a ray amputation or something like that, it's always good news to hear that they're, uh, they're bleeding too much. I understand. And how long does this procedure take usually? Usually anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half. It takes that long? Yeah, it really does. It's not a procedure that you can go in and put in like an iliac stent or a uh, renal stent or something like that. It takes a lot of work, and you usually have to keep the patient heparinized uh, significantly uh, and or uh, use Angiomax. What's Angiomax? Angiomax is a direct heparin inhibitor, and that's the company name. I'm sorry I don't remember the generic name, but it's great. We use it on every one of our peripheral uh, complex interventions. And what kind of anesthesia do you use in these patients? Conscious sedation and local and do you do it in the operating room or you do it in the angiography suite? I do it in my angio suite in the cardiovascular lab, which is OR compatible. But you could just as easily do this in a uh, operating room suite. I think what you do need to have, though, is good imaging capability uh, in order to see these distal vessels. I hate to ask you this question, Dr. Beasley, but do you ever get in a situation with these very small vessels that you can't get them open? Absolutely, and it's frustrating. The most frustrating part is if you get a heavily calcified vessel and you're able to get a wire across it, but you can't get anything else to follow. And that's the most frustrating part because you know you've gotten there, but you can't get anything across it. Now, there are times when because of the vessels are so heavily calcified or such chronically closed that you can't get across the occlusion. And if you can't get across the occlusion, obviously you can't treat it. So 
that would occur in in my practice about 10 to 15 percent of the time, unfortunately. But you know, you're doing a lot more good than you are not by not even trying. I don't know if you're aware of the statistics, but of the folks that have amputations in the United States, this is in the United States, over half of these folks have an amputation without having a simple rudimentary examination such as an ABI. So it's if you were able just to do an ABI on these folks and determine they had a circulatory problem and then do an angiogram to determine if they were even a candidate for any type of below the knee, we would save a lot more legs. I want to thank Dr. Robert Beasley, who has been our guest. We have been discussing laser treatment for critical limb ischemia below the knee, particularly in diabetic patients. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to a special series on diabetes on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.